Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. reading is taken from Jonah chapter 3 verses 1 to 5a. After I'm done reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord, to which you reply, thanks be to God. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Don. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome, welcome everyone. Uh, welcome to those who are watching on screen. My name is Femi. And for those who are here, welcome to the Stale Bread service. Uh, you didn't catch that, yes. Yeah. So, so the, the guys that come for 745, uh, they get the fresh bread, right? I'm not saying that this won't be fresh, but you know, when something just comes out of the oven, and okay, I'm not trying to make a plug for the first service, but it won't be bad for you to come for first service too. All right, welcome. Thank you. If you're here for the first time, can I say that we are so glad to have you, that you chose to worship with us this morning, and we hope that it's been a blessing so far, and that will continue to be a blessing. We've been going through a book um, in the Bible, a familiar book because it has nice um, things, nice amusing things, uh, the book of Jonah. But also sometimes, you know, you get too familiar with something and you don't see the profundity of what is there. And we now are going to the second half of the book of Jonah from chapter 3. And I want to talk about something that I think is really important. So let's ask God to help us. We sang about that. Let's just pray and then we get into the word. Heavenly Lord, we thank you um, for your word. They're words of life. The words of cleansing. Jesus, you said, you are clean because of the words I have spoken to you. And you said the words that you speak are, they are spirit and they are life. Father, I pray, O oh God, for a life-changing word today. I pray, Lord, that your words of life will come, O oh Lord, and that it will change certain things, O oh Lord, in, in the hearers today. I pray that they would encounter you. Holy Spirit, we want you here. We need you here um, because you are the only one that can fully show us Jesus. So please do so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Quick question. Hands up if City Church is the first church you've ever attended. No one? No? Yeah? It will, you'll be glad to know that City Church is not the first church I have attended to. Uh, just imagine if the first church I attended was the first church I started. What kind of things will we be teaching, right? You won't be in trouble. But this is, you know, it's a funny thing. I didn't expect anyone to raise their hands, and none of you did. Uh, but we go to, that tells us something, that if this is not the first church you've attended, then you've attended other churches, and the question then comes, why do we attend different churches? How do we choose? Let me give you a few reasons, right? A few um, 
profound reasons uh, through which we choose the church that we attend. For instance, do they speak English or do they speak an indigenous language? Pretty profound. Do they have pews or do they have chairs? Right? And some people are like, ah, oh, no, that's not. Have you been, some of you will never be able to go to a church because of pews, just because of that. Let's say that. All right, how about this one? Do they use fan or AC? You say, ah, this is so carnal. Until you go and you are, you are funny yourself for so long, you'll be like, well, I, I'm not trying to build my muscle here. I'm just, you know, give me a seat. Uh, do, they, do they use a choir or do they use a band? Choir or band? What's the difference between choir and band? It's one thing. It's called rub, right? They, they've got, I declared to them the la, in the first service that thus yet my word, you know, in, in just about six months' time, the rubes will come. They didn't say amen. You know that they don't want to be a choir. But for some of us, it actually goes deeper because we choose the church we want to go to based on the God that is preached. Is it the angry God of the Old Testament or is it the loving God of the New Testament? What kind of God do they? Is it, is it the God of wrath or is it the God of love? I left that church because they only talk about love too much. Love, 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 love. Well, they're too angry in that church. They only talk about the wrath of God. We choose the church we want to go to because of some of things like that. And for some people, maybe you're here and say, that's why I'm not a Christian. I don't like either of those gods. Or actually, that's why I'm not a Christian, because God seems confused. Like, does he have two stages? A point when he was angry, and then he now had the point where he became loving? Or for some people, it's like, are there two gods in that regard? I know one of the other things that, that the problem that causes is that it affects our witness. You see, as Christians, we are called to share the things that um, um, we have been given. But sometimes we are even confused on how best to actually present that because we are actually confused about the nature of the one who is sending us, the God himself. So how do we solve this problem? It's not as simplistic as we think. But I think here in Jonah, the book of Jonah, but even more particularly this passage of the book of Jonah, it presents us with a far more consistent reality of, uh, it presents us a picture of God that is far more consistent with the reality of our lives and the reality of what we see in our world. You see, Jonah presents a picture of God that considers both his love and his wrath in a way that only fully makes sense in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So after this talk, here's what I'm praying. That God is less confusing to us. But at the same time, for those of us who are Christians, you would be maybe a bit more equipped on how to share God with the people that are around us. Amen? So that's why I've called this message, The Wrath of God's Love. And the wrath of God's love, we're going to look at in three different headings. The wrath in the message, the wrath in the prophet, and the wrath in the love. The wrath in the message, the wrath in the prophet, and the wrath in the love. So let's begin. How many of us know what is called a tornado in the wrath uh, message? A tornado. Do you know what a tornado is? Right? I'm not prophesying that a tornado will come to your house. Don't worry. It's not happened in Nigeria as far as I know. But a tornado is this violent wind. It's a mobile wind. It looks like a funnel. Right? And the nature of a tornado, one of the things that is fascinating about a tornado is if it's coming close, right, it actually pulls things with, uh, into it. 
And then eventually, as it keeps moving, it then tosses them out. Right? It brings things in, and then it tosses them out. Tim Keller, a former pastor in New York, says that Christianity is like a spiritual tornado. What does that mean? It means that it brings you in, and it sends you out. Notice if you read the book of Jonah at the end of chapter 1, the fish, that fish, the fish was there to swallow Jonah. And then at the end of chapter 2, the fish was there to vomit Jonah. Right? Jonah was called into the fish, and then he was sent out by the fish. In other words, when Jonah was in the fish, as we saw in chapter 2, he rediscovered God, and when he rediscovered God, he rediscovered his identity in God. That he was not just called out, but he was what? Sent out. Christianity is like a spiritual tornado. We are brought in, called out from the world, but we are also what? Sent out into the world. In other words, the called out ones are the sent out ones. Jonah, God came to him a second time in verse 1, but Jonah obeyed the word and he went to Nineveh. When he encountered God in verse 2, God says, go. If you are here as a Christian, you must never forget that though you are called out, you are also sent out. The called out ones are the sent out ones. Don't turn to your neighbor, but just say with me. The called out ones are the sent out ones. Now, if you are sent out, you are sent out with something. You are sent out with an instruction, with a message. Verse 2 again. God sent Jonah to Nineveh, but what was the instruction? Proclaim to it the message I give you. Proclaim to it the message I give you. Say it with me. Proclaim to it the message I give you. So when God sends us out, he sends us with a message that does not originate in us, but that is meant to be shared with others. In our identity, we are meant to share a message that does not, we are meant to share a message with others that does not originate in us. But as human beings, we always find ways to mess it up. In fact, I can think of three ways in which we mess it up according to this instruction when we don't adhere fully to it. The instruction is proclaimed to it the message I give you. So first way we mess it up. We don't proclaim the message God gives us. Now, we don't proclaim the message God gives us. This usually happens when we are conversant with the message. We understand the messages. We understand things that God has taught us in the Bible, but we are too ashamed to talk about them because we are concerned about how we'll be perceived, how, you know, the, the conversation can become very awkward. How many of us have been in an awkward conversation? You know, awkward conversation at work. Somebody dropped a joke that they were not meant to drop. You know, this kind of like, yay, what do we do here? You know, like, and the person that did that probably is waiting for the ground to open, like, what have I just said, you know? And sometimes that's the point. We don't want to talk about us being Christian, that kind of Christian, because the person that is in front of you, the person God has sent you to, you don't want them to perceive you in a particular way. It becomes awkward. So you decide to be silent just to keep the relationship less awkward. Pendulet is a magician and an atheist. And here's what he says. I've quoted this a few times, so 
apologies to those who have heard it, but I always found this quote very profound. He says, I've always said I don't respect people who don't evangelize, or he said proselytize. If you believe, don't forget it's an atheist, if you believe that there is a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it will make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody not to evangelize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? You know what he said? The issue here is not one of comfort or social awkwardness. The issue here is one of wickedness and hatred. I didn't say it. A non-Christian said that. And he's not far from the truth. Second way we can mess this up is we proclaim the transformed lives God gives us. You know what they say? Talk is cheap. It's action that matters. So many times we justify our silence by saying, at the end of the day, look, if you speak empty words, if you speak empty words, what good is that going to do? I live, I show, I display and proclaim my Christianity in the way I live. As somebody has once said, they said, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Now, don't get me wrong, if you have a bad behavior, an obnoxious behavior, if you accompany that with the message that you are preaching, it will do damage to the message. It will do damage to the message. But that is not the same thing as replacing it with the message. You know, for those of you who are married, for those of us who are married, you know, at some point, there's an expectation in marriage. You know what that expectation is? The expectation is that at some point, your very movement should be able to send a message to the other person. Like you speak sentences with your behavior. You, you know what I mean, right? The, you, you, the one party in the marriage could be asking the first one, ah, you looked at, are you okay? And that one says, no, I'm okay. Ah, okay. So that one goes on. I'm not, I'm not, it's, not it's gender sensitive. I'm gender neutral here, okay? So I'm not trying to. And then, Three hours later, that one gets a text. The one that's asked the question, are you okay? He gets a text. Uh, sorry, they, they get a text. <laughs> oh, man. They get a text, and it's like, you're a very wicked person. You don't even care about me. You don't love me. Why? You can see that I'm not okay, and you, and you just didn't say anything about But I asked you, are you okay? You said you were okay. And now you should have understood that I didn't want to say that, and I want you to ask me another time. In other words, decode my propositions through my behavior. If you continue that way, your marriage will be successful. <laughs> Sometimes this is what we think with the message about the Bible. We think that our behavior, or we try to make people decode propositions from the Bible through our behavior. But can I tell you that God sent you, he didn't send you to those who he has sent you to, to make them hearers. I'm sorry, he sent you to make them hearers, not to make them viewers. Listen, behavior is meant to adorn and confirm the message that God has given us, not to replace it. At some point, you still have to open your mouth and say, this is what God has said, so that there's no confusion. Third way we mess it up is that we proclaim the message that others give us or we give ourselves. 
You know, this one is born out of our discomfort, the discomfort that we have about some of the claims of Christianity. You're like, hey, I like Christianity. I like all the, a lot of the good things that are said there. There are some that are a bit one kind, like, honestly, honestly, fish swallowed a man, right? And then the man was there for three days, like he was in the belly of the fish hotel, <laughs> right? Like, honestly, we can understand why they believed that 2,800 years ago. That was their time, but right now we are more advanced. We are more advanced, we can't be believing nonsense like that. Or, think about the message God sent to Jonah. Wrath, God of wrath, no. So there are certain things that make us uncomfortable. So we decide, you know the Bible says that God is our helper, right? But sometimes we also feel that those who help, they need what? Help as well. So we give God help. You see, God wanted to send us a message, but this isn't exactly how God wanted to send it. So we give the message a facelift. It's like a guy called Thomas Jefferson, third president of the United States, one of the framers of the United States Constitution. Good guy, nice guy, he had slaves, but we'll leave that, we'll allow that one to pass. Right? And spoke about, you know, how we all have inalienable, I always find that word hard to say, inalienable rights, right? But that was for certain people, not for everyone. Okay, but let's, let's put that aside. Thomas Jefferson liked the Bible. He thought he had wonderful things. He only had a few problems with things like the miracles of Jesus, the virgin birth of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. You know, small little things. He had small little problems <laughs> with that. And that Jesus Christ was coming back. So what did he do? He decided to get razor, tiger, tiger razor blade, right? He cut out all those things he did not like. He patched certain things together, put everything together, and then he presented what God was trying to say. The moral, the law, the, he called it the life and the morals of Jesus of Nazareth, the Bible. God's real message, not the additions of men. Some people aptly named it the Thomas Jefferson Bible. And they were right. Not the Bible that God gave, Thomas Jefferson's Bible. You know why? Because every time we try to amend God's message, we make it ours. And then we make ourselves the, the, the source of divine revelation and salvation. Anytime we are sending out or preaching somebody else's message, after they've amended the message of God, we make those, we, we are essentially saying those people are the source of divine revelation and salvation. Congratulations. You see, I think part of these bad examples, they happen because they're associated with something, a problem that we don't like to say here in Nigeria, but let's just say it. It's the nature of the message. What was the nature of the message God gave to Jonah? In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. That's a message of judgment. It's a message of wrath. We are not that comfortable in modern Lagos with that kind of message. We don't like wrath. So why would I want to preach a, a God's message of wrath? Now, before you go quickly with that, let me just say, I think the problem here is that our concerns are often misplaced. The reason is we don't think deeply enough about the appropriate place of wrath. We usually think about it in one way. And that's why you either really are very, very, very vociferous about wrath, or you say, well... The Bible really didn't mean that. It didn't really mean that God has anger and God has wrath. 
The problem is we think about it in one narrow way. And I want to tell you that at least we can think of wrath in at least two different ways. And I want to illustrate that with the events that happened in Nigeria within the last one month. Think about and the two different ways I want to think about it. Inherently destructive wrath or inherently constructive wrath. Let's take the first one. Why do rioters loot, break, and burn things? You would say they're angry. Why are they angry? I'll tell you. It's not just anger. It's anger mixed with hopelessness. You see, rioters have looked at the society, and they've looked at their future in the society. You know that question when you go for an interview, that very stupid question that we don't all know how to answer, and you wonder why are you always want to say, why are you asking me this stupid question? Where do you see yourself in what? Five years. If you ask the writer that, he'll say, I will see myself exactly where I am, or probably in jail. Because they've looked at their future within this particular society, and they say, there is no constructive future for me. And they are angry at that. The anger is as a result of hopelessness. Now, when anger results from hopelessness, you know what they only see? They feel they, they want to unleash destruction. Because look at it this way. If they believe the society had a future for them, why would they be burning and breaking down the place where they believe they can inherit or at least will provide for them? It's because they say, this thing does not exist for me. And since I am coming down, now that you have taken the restraints that keep us from unleashing what we want to unleash, we will unleash it. We are all coming down together. I already know I'm coming down, but I'm bringing you and you and you with me. That is why they riot and they break. That is, there is no hope for them, and therefore the anger at that is only inherently destructive. But take the second form, the protesters. The protesters were angry people too, you know that. Very angry. But protesters condemned the riots. Why? They condemned both the riots and all the things that the rioters did. Why did they do that? They were both angry. They were both angry at injustice. Both of them saw injustice, and the right, appropriate reaction to injustice is anger. But one of them is condemning what the other one did. The reason is because their anger is coming from two different sources. You see, the protesters, when they were protesting the injustice, if you remember, they were cleaning, at least the one in Lekki, they were cleaning off when they, you know, the night, when they finished at the night, they, you, the protesters were cleaning the place. One is destroying, the other one is cleaning because one is saying, this isn't the way this place ought to be. This isn't the people that we are meant to be, but we can be better. In other words, they have hope for the future even though we are not where we ought to be. So they don't destroy. One is angry but has hope. The other one is angry but is Hopeless. And as a result of that, the one with hope, their anger comes from an inherently constructive place. Do we understand that? There is a right place for anger. You cannot always see anger or wrath from a negative standpoint. Anger can be constructive. God's wrath isn't destructive inherently. God's wrath comes from an inherently constructive place. And therefore, his message of wrath is constructive as well. The people of Nineveh understood this clearly. 
That is why in verse 5 it says, they believe God. But the messenger of God did not understand this clearly. And that takes me to my second point. The wrath in the prophet. How do, I, how do we know? Now listen, the fact that you are assigned to deliver a message of wrath from God, it doesn't mean, it doesn't guarantee that you will do it properly. How do we know that? Case in point, Jonah. Jonah did not pre- he preached, God sent him to preach God's wrath, but you can tell he did not do it in the best way or from the best place. How do I know that? Now, if you look at verses 3 to 4, it says Nineveh was a large city, and it took Jonah three days to go around preaching the message of God's wrath. All right? So, if you now go to verse 5 of chapter 4, you know what Jonah did after he finished preaching? Jonah went, he says, he had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. What was he doing in that place? He waited to see what would happen to what? The city. Jonah had finished preaching. I said, oh, yeah. Fire burned them. <laughs> How do we know that that's true? And I'm not making that up. Look at the end of, verse, of verse, uh, chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. When it didn't happen, when they changed their ways, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became what? What does this tell you? Jonah wasn't preaching because he wanted to see them change. Jonah hated them. And he wanted them to be destroyed. Jonah's view of the thing was, after I preach, and then it's being destroyed, they will know that there was a prophet among them. <laughs> you know, like, I, I, okay, DMX once said, one rep said, you will remember my name. Jonah wanted them, as they were dying, as one block was falling on their head, Jonah, <laughs> remember me. A prophet was among you. In other words, Jonah was actually happy to deliver the message of wrath. You know why? He was a lover of wrath. He wasn't looking for the wrath to change. He was looking for the wrath to actually destroy them. Guys, listen. It is possible to preach a godly message in an ungodly way because you are driven by ungodly motives. And what then happens? So many non-Christians are rightly put off Christian evangelism. Why? Because our message is often expressed with a lack of compassion that mostly results in a lack of persuasiveness. I'll say that again. So many non-Christians are put off by our Christian evangelism. Why? Because our message is often expressed with a lack of compassion that mostly results in a lack of persuasiveness. I want to take those two things because they're important for how you think on how you engage non-Christians, lack of compassion. Listen, the problem often isn't with the message. As uncomfortable, don't get me wrong, go. Christianity has uncomfortable things. It's meant to. It's meant to be uncomfortable at certain times. I'm not trying to, every word in the Bible as, you know, if we take it for the meaning that it is, may affirm everything. So should you. But quite often, what we think is that the problem is in the content of the message. But that isn't. Quite often the problem is with the messenger and the delivery. Therefore, the delivery. We say things like this. 
to justify why people aren't believing. He said, they can't handle the truth. That's the problem. Snowflakes, very, very, can we, people, we have to give them the truth, but they can't handle it. Or some people say stuff like, it's because they are lovers of evil. What do you expect? Or if you are really particularly deep, very deep, that lovers of evil, you say, you know what the Bible says now? It's because we are in the last days. And in the last days, Kilomar said, what will happen? The love of many will do what? The world's cold. You read King James. <laughs> but what we are just doing is that we are putting, we are hiding our lack of compassion under a cloak of religiosity. Because what they see and what they rightly see is stuff like this. I got this feeling this person doesn't love me. Right message, this person doesn't love me. Or this person is happy to tell me. I got the feeling he was happy to tell me that I was wrong. Have you ever been approached by Sister Bosse? Huh? You know Sister Bosse? When you didn't tie your hair in church, you didn't put scarf. You never met Sister Bosse. How about Sister, uh, Sister Joanna? Right? That told you about your, your how can you be wearing trousers? So let me see. All the women here that wear trousers, I will send Sister Joanna to you. <laughs> see, this person didn't love me. The issue wasn't with the message. Some of them would say something like, there's just a way they make me feel. My wife used to tell me about a particular preacher I really liked. You know, women are often, they see these things way beforehand. Now, I don't really follow that preacher again. And when I used to listen to the preacher, she would just say, I said, man, look at this guy just tearing the word of God. You know, just, she just be like, I just don't like the way he makes me feel. It took me two years to actually realize that. And since then, his ministry has actually, I would say, quite been destructive. Even though for many people, he will be preaching truth. Which reminds me, recently, um, a Nigerian politician tweeted um, a message about the president-elect in America. Uh, but you, this was like the day, uh, the, um, the, when, is, when was 7th of November? What's today? Okay, so a day, yesterday. So the person said, um, he was talking about uh, Joe Biden, and he said something like this. He believes in abortion. He believes in same-sex marriage. He seeks to persecute Israel. Third one is disputable. I didn't find it. Doesn't know what it means. So he then says, love him all you like, but I choose to despise him because I consider these three things to be evil, ungodly, and against core Christian values. I choose to despise him because these three things are against core Christian values. He hasn't taken that tweet. He's there. To which I was thinking, I was like... <laughs> I was just thinking that the, you know, that founder of core Christian values that says something like, love your enemies, <laughs> pray for them, pray, bless them, the ones that persecute you, and then said something like, love them that despitefully use you, he decided to despise the person. Why would that person listen to the message of Christianity that comes from this one? You see, if we are truly, if we truly care that people are being deceived or that people are actually going to perish, then it ought to come from a heart of compassion, a heart that cares, that image bearers of God, like us, 
are actually doomed. That's how you should, you should care about it because when we don't care, when it comes from a lack of compassion, you know eventually what happens? You are not persuasive. In fact, you don't care to be persuasive. Far too many people aren't trying to help people make sense of why the Christian message is correct. Don't get me wrong. We sometimes are too clear about what it is, but we are not clear about why it makes sense. And sometimes when you are not clear about why it makes sense, it shows that you don't really understand what it is. You see, a lot of evangelism, sadly, is done from the standpoint of satisfying the speaker and not satisfying the audience. Don't get me wrong. I keep saying, I'm not talking about changing the message. I'm talking about satisfying the audience so that the audience hears. So we use insider Christian lingo, KJV, for people. I was doing, um, I do some, something called FAQs, right? Answering certain questions. And we try to answer it in two minutes, hot button questions. And last year, I did something on why, from, uh, why, what was it again? Why it's wrong to watch pornography with your spouse. Why is it wrong to watch pornography with your spouse? And the idea was, I presented the answer from what the Bible says, but I tried to explain why not using, I wasn't using explicit biblical categories. So I was presenting the biblical answer, but trying to explain why without using explicit biblical categories. And a lot of people were blessed by it. But some people wrote and said they were not happy. Very happy. Trust, they were Christians. They said, I should have simply stated what the Bible says. Because the Bible says it's wrong, and I should have left it like that. But that using further arguments to explain was undermining the Bible. I hope you hear what is actually going on. They were more concerned about the people's perception of the Bible than actually getting them to obey what the Bible says. What is wrong with us? You see, with that kind of thing, we don't care as to why people don't believe the way they believe. Guys, if you want to be a better, a better evangelist, you have to be interested in understanding why people believe what they believe, understanding their background, understanding the things that are going on in their life. Why is that important? Because if you understand your message very well, you need to understand people so that you can take what your message is saying and speak it in a way that those people understand or speak it in a way that hits at their very concerns. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus in John chapter 3 spoke with Nicodemus and in John chapter 4 he spoke with the woman at the well. He gave them the same answer because they had the same problem. Sin. What was the answer? Jesus. Do you think he said it the same way? No, because she's a man. she was a woman, he was a man. He was rich, she was poor. She was a Samaritan, he was a Jew. She was, she was politically disenfranchised. He, as a member of the Sanhedrin, was politically uh, 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 um, uh, uh, powerful. She was uneducated. He was so educated. How can you speak the same message to two of them in the same way? We can't. But if you don't care about being persuasive, you wouldn't even try. And I say this not just for speaking to non-Christians. Maybe you have Christians among you that you feel believe a wrong message. Sometimes we, the people who say, look at, look, at, look at them, just following bad pastors that are just collecting money. You're so stupid. Oh, you think people are willing to listen to somebody that says they are stupid. Let me tell you something. 
I like to listen to people and to be persuaded by people. I have never wanted to believe somebody that says I'm stupid. Have you? Or treat me like I'm stupid. Listen, if you do that, if you present your views to somebody just to show them, just to show them with the sole purpose that they are wrong and that you are right, you will, they, they may not succeed in countering your argument, but you will not succeed in converting them. And Paul says that I'm like a Jew to those, I'm like under the law to those who are under the law. I'm like not under the law to those who are not under the law. I do all of these things so that I may save some. It's your motivation to save. If you do, then have a heart of compassion. Because if you have a heart of compassion where you need equipping, it will turn to persuasiveness. But let me explain. If you don't care about people, and you care only about yourself in your evangelism, no matter how many evangelistic tools people give you, it still will not work. Amen? When we deliver the message of God without showing people that, without caring that people change, without caring that they comprehend our message, without caring that they are repelled by our tone, we make it obvious that in evangelism, we only care about one person and it is not the people we are sent to. Like Jonah, we care about ourselves. We want people to see us as people who really understand the message, people who are faithful, who are part of the remnant, when everybody else has gone astray. God always has 7,000 who have not bowed their knees to bow. Compassion and persuasiveness when we take out the message. Let us not demonstrate, like Jonah, that we are people who just love wrath. Because that isn't what God is like. What is God like? I'm happy you asked. It takes me to my final point. The wrath in love. Now, someone will say something like this. How can you say God isn't like that? At the end of the day, who sent Jonah with the message of wrath? Huh? How many other prophets in the Bible did he send with message of wrath? There are plenty. There are plenty of them. So the person says, listen, just like the hateful Christians I have met, the message of judgment in this story and the message of judgment throughout scripture is reflective of the one who sent them. That is what your God is like. To which I want to first say, to be fair, you know we've been bashing Jonah. All right? But even Jonah himself did not think that that's what God was like. Why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Because of who God was like. You see, Jonah quoted the foundational prophet of the Bible, of the Old Testament, Moses, when Moses asked God, who are you like? And God described himself to, God, uh, to Moses, the essential nature of God. So Jonah said, this is the reason why I didn't want to go, verse 2 of chapter 4. You know why? Because <laughs> I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. Slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Are you hearing? God, what is the essential nature? A God of abundant love. A God of abundant love. That is why he is compassionate. That is why he relents from sending calamity. That is why when you take out his message, you have to have compassion. Because the one who sent you has compassion. That is his essential nature. Jonah's Problem was that Jonah's message was seeking self-validation in their destruction, whereas God's message was seeking their repentance and salvation. Be like God, not Jonah. 
And when the Ninevites heard that, guess what? They believed God, verse 5, not Jonah. What about you? I think I know some of us will still say again, how can, how can he have wrath? Despite being, despite being abundant in love. Like, it makes no sense. You say that he's abounding in love. How can he be abounding in love and then have wrath? To which I want to say, how can he not have wrath if he abounds in love? It doesn't make sense. So, okay, let me explain. I have two kids. If you have kids, let me tell you one of the worst things that can happen to you is when you see your children are ill. When you see your children are very ill, it is a terrible feeling. When my children are ill, when any of my kids are ill, you know what happens? I get angry. I get angry. And so I unleash my fiercest wrath with all my abilities to destroy the bacteria that is inside them. Like, I first carry them, right? God has given me money to have a car. We carry them. We now, God has given me money to afford hospital. We take them to the hospital. We ask for the test. They say bacteria. I say, doctor, unleash your wrath upon that bacteria. And he says, don't worry. Don't worry, Mr. Ashunay, I will do that. You have it, Abby? Yes. The agent or the, 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 the pill of destruction is called antibiotics. Right? What is the reason for the antibiotics? The antibiotics is there to destroy what? The bacteria. In other words, I aim to destroy the one who is trying to destroy the one I love. The pro, the, the, my, my fierce wrath against... The bacteria is not separate from my love. Actually, my fierce wrath against the sickness is a product of the love that I have for my kid. Do you understand that? The wrath comes from the love that I have for my child. So while Jonah was demonstrating the love of wrath, God was demonstrating the wrath of love. They believed God, not Jonah. How about you? You see, it is in this context that God's eternal wrath, that message that a lot of us run away from and think that that is just an inconvenient part of the Bible. The message of God's wrath actually makes total, eternal wrath actually makes sense. Why? Because it is a product of his eternal love. Because if, if you can't have, you can't have this constructive wrath without having love. And if God is going to display his eternal love, then there has to be eternal wrath. God loves his creation and he has an eternal loving plan for his creation. However, God sees that sin is like a bacteria that threatens the existence, that is an existential threat to the eternal dwelling of his creation. So what is hell? Hell is God's eternal loving reaction to counteract and what's an eternal threat to his creation. Am I making sense? In the same way that I look at my child and I love my child and I want to react out of the love of my child to punish and destroy what is trying to destroy my child, God also looks at his creation and out of his love is going to destroy all that is going to hurt his creation. And when God wants to display his eternal love, for that to happen, he has to have eternal wrath. Whose message will you believe? 
Whose report will you believe? You know, that question comes from another prophet after Jonah, one century after Jonah. His name is Isaiah. Isaiah asked that question, whose report or whose message will you believe? He asked it within the context of delivering a message of wrath, another message of wrath, of course, because they are prophets, right? But with a message of wrath with a particular twist to it. Listen to what he says. He says, who has, take it back to verse 1, who has, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He was, op he, was op um, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. Can you see? God's wrath is being poured out on an individual. Is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And you are wondering, why is God pouring out his wrath on an individual? And the answer is because he's a God of outrageous grace. And say, why? Because this is the way God eternally saves. Listen, rather than pouring out his eternal wrath upon us in love, because you are thinking, if God is, has eternal wrath and sin is the problem, I actually have sin in my life. Which of us don't have sin? That is why God pours out his wrath upon him, because he doesn't want to pour out his wrath upon you. Listen to what he says in verse 10 again. He says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. But why was it the will of the Lord to crush him? And though he caused him to suffer, and though the Lord makes his life what? An offering for sin. God pours out his wrath upon him too as an offering for sin so that you can escape. God pours his wrath out on Jesus so that he doesn't pour his wrath out on you. God pours out his wrath on Jesus, but Jesus rises from the dead. That's why he says that after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and he will be satisfied. That's why John says that because I live, you can also live as well. Do you understand that the message of God's wrath is also the message of God's love to you? Because he poured his wrath out on Jesus, he can now pour this love, this saving, this gracious love to you. Why not believe God and not Jonah? Believe the message of, don't believe the message of the love of God's wrath in Jonah. Believe the message of the wrath of God's love in Jesus. And for those of us who share, who are evangelizing, please don't preach the message of the love of God's wrath in Jonah. Preach the message of the wrath of God's love in Jesus. That sweet, sweet message. Has wrath ever tasted so loving? Has wrath ever sounded so loving? The sweet message of God's love or God's wrath coming from his love in Jesus. Friends, listen. It's not our job to change the message. It's our job definitely to adorn the message with the love of the one who sends the message. It's our job to warn, but it's to warn people because if he is loving, then he also has to have wrath. But let's not forget that the wrath comes out of his love, lest we be tempted like Jonah to love God's wrath. 
for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.